Oh, good morning. And um, thank you, Mark, for leading us this morning. It's great, isn't it, to be here on Easter, Easter Day. What a, what a day, what a special, what a wonderful day we celebrate today. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking um, together at what Easter means. And if you've been with us on those occasions, looking at scriptures, you would understand why we've, perhaps we've t- chosen the title for today. The Easter means everything changes. Easter means everything changes. The events of that first Easter meant everything changed for those disciples, didn't it? What a week they'd had. The 12 disciples and and the larger group of those followers of Jesus, which of course included women like Mary that we read about, within three days, their worlds turned upside down, not once, but twice. To describe the events as traumatic is an understatement. They could not, although Jesus had talked about this to them, they could not have understood or expected those things to happen. First of all, of course, Jesus, who they come to believe was the promised Messiah, the one sent from God, gets arrested, executed. They just could not understand how, how could that possibly happen for the Messiah? All their hopes and expectations completely dashed. And then two days later, Jesus, who is dead, unburied, rises from the dead. It is Jesus. But it's a different Jesus. It's the Jesus they knew But it's a far greater Jesus who rises from the dead, way beyond their expectations and hopes, what they'd previously thought. I mean, Jesus had been telling his disciples, we record quite a few occasions in the Gospels, where he told his disciples in advance what was going to happen to them, didn't he? He said that he would die, but that he would also rise again. But they just were not able to understand Well, maybe they just couldn't accept it because it didn't fit in with what they thought should happen. We read, don't we, those wonderful verses in John John chapter 10, where he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He goes on to say then later in that passage, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. They didn't get that. They didn't get that actually this was what God, this is what Jesus Christ purposed to happen, that he would give his life. It wasn't just because of a betrayer, or because of evil, jealous religious leaders, or because of a, a Roman governor that took the easy option, or because of anything else. They, all, they were all responsible. 
that this was God's preordained plan out of love for his world, that Jesus should give his life, that they, then we now could receive life, receive forgiveness. And his death and resurrection are inextricably interwoven. They cannot be separated. We can't have one without the other. That God would, that God's plan would be that Jesus would lay down his life, but that that would not be the end. He would take it up again. Easter changed everything for them. And Easter is, of course, at the heart, the crux of the Christian faith. Without Easter, without what we're celebrating today, there is no Christian faith. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, your faith is futile. It's a complete waste of time. You might as well do as, you're, you know, as, the, as the saying says, and he quotes the saying, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, go and enjoy yourselves. I mean, actually, we can enjoy ourselves here as well. I know this morning eating those lovely pastries, but you don't have to come to church. Go fishing, go play football, go whatever else you enjoy doing on a day like this. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no point. It's futile. Or maybe it would be right to think like Ricky Gervais. He made that program, didn't he, Afterlife. And in an interview about that program, he was obviously questioned about the subject. This is what he said. I don't fear death. I won't know about it. That's the best thing about being dead. You don't know about it. It's like being stupid. It's only painful for others. It's a good line, isn't it? I don't believe in the afterlife, so I don't think there's anything to fear about death. Belief, you know? You know? If there's no resurrection, you might as well join Ricky Gervais and think just like that. In, make the most of your life and don't worry about what happens when you die. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, not only is it amazing and wonderful, but it changes everything. It means that what the Bible says, what Jesus said, is true. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. He is the creator, the source of all life, life that is seen and the unseen worlds as well. He is the way to the Father. He's the way for us to be forgiven and to be able to come back to God and to become the people that he always intended us to be. Death is not the end. He offers eternal life, a life that begins now, but that will never end. And all the things that spoil our lives now will not be there then. It will be the most wonderful life, a life that we cannot even begin to imagine. And he will return. He said he would. Many times the Bible prophesies his return. Jesus will return. Maybe this year. Maybe this week, maybe tomorrow, who knows? Only God knows.
but he will return. And when he returns, every eye, every person that has ever lived on this planet would acknowledge who he is. And they will bow down. We will bow down before him because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The question is, there's only one question. The question is, is it true? Is it true? Did the resurrection happen? There are reasons to believe, but we certainly haven't got time to explore them today. That's why I hope if, you, if, you, if you're interested and you ought to be interested, consider what we were showing earlier about the Hope Explored course. Or read the Gospels for yourself. Or talk to somebody you know who, who understands these things. Seek God. I've just read the biography of C.S. Lewis. Many of you will know, I've heard of C.S. Lewis. You know, he wrote the Narnia stories for children. He wrote lots of other stuff as well. Actually, I didn't realize until recently, I have a debt to C.S. Lewis. Because in sorting out my mom's papers after she died and going through all her stuff, I found a letter that my dad, a draft of the letter that my dad had sent to C.S. Lewis, to which I believe he got a reply. And in this letter to C.S. Lewis, he writes simply to thank C.S. Lewis for his wartime broadcasts, because he said, listening to you has restored my faith in Jesus Christ. So I have a big debt to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, Saturday, the 19th of September, 1931. C.S. Lewis invites two friends round to come and have dinner with them. Both of them are Christians. One of them you just may have heard of because he wrote a little book. His name was J.R. Tolkien. He had these two guys round come round to discuss the Christian faith. C.S. Lewis had been searching for God. Initially, he'd probably be described, I don't know if he was atheist or agnostic. He didn't want to believe in God. But as he thought and thought more about these things, he came to realize that there must be a God, but he wasn't a Christian. And he invited these two guys around, and they spent hours together that night, well into the early hours of the morning, talking about Christian faith. And the next day, C.S. Lewis writes to his best friend, and this is what he says, just one sentence in our quote. He said, I have just passed on from believing in God to believing in Christ. C.S. Lewis had become a Christian, a follower of Jesus. He describes himself as the most reluctant convert. He didn't want to believe it was true. He wanted to believe it wasn't true, but the more he looked at it, the realized the more it made sense, and he could not ignore the truth. So he became that reluctant convert. He later wrote, Christianity, and for that we could put resurrection, Christianity, if it is false, is of no importance. But if it is true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Is it true? Are we willing to explore are we willing to check it out? Now, imagine, imagine, this week you receive a letter, nice-looking envelope, 
quality envelope, you open the letter, and inside you find a quality piece of paper, nice and thick. And on it, in lovely letters, has got a solicitor's letterhead on it. And the solicitor's writing to you to inform you that a distant relative that quite possibly you've never heard of has died. And you are the beneficiary of their will. A will that has an estate, an estate that has over two million pounds in it, and you are the sole beneficiary. Would you please contact them so that they can discuss with you how they can execute their clients or their former clients' wishes? What would you do? Would you bin it and say, no, 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 that can't be true. It's a scam. It's a scam. That's what it is. I don't think most of us would. I think most of us, I don't know about you, the first thing I'd probably do is Google the name of the solicitors and see if they exist. I think then I would pick up the phone and I'd ring that number on there, put 141 in first so they can ring me back and inquire. It would be worth it, wouldn't it, for two million quid to explore. But what we're talking about this morning is not about how you can enjoy two million quid for how many, many years you've got left. We're talking about the offer of eternal life with Christ Jesus in his world, in his wonderful world, with him. That's what we're talking about. Isn't that worth exploring? Isn't that worth checking out? Because if it's true, it is of infinite importance. And God has given you a mind. God has enabled you to think. God has enabled you to explore. Jesus said to people in his days, look, read the scriptures for yourselves, guys, or look and listen to me and my teaching, my character. Look at the miracles I'm doing. Use your minds. Think, who does this point to? It points to who I am. Sadly, many people but didn't bother checking it out. Some people think that faith doesn't require reason, or that faith and reason are the opposite. Like a relative of Kim's that said to us a few months back, I wish I had your faith. As if somehow I'd, we'd been born with it, or it just happened. It isn't. Faith and reason are not opposites. God asks us to use our minds and our reason to, to investigate whether what he says in his word is true. There are much evidence. You know, we could start talking about all the reasons why you should believe in the resurrection, but we'll leave that for hope explored or Christianity explored or your conversations with somebody here. People say you can't trust the Bible, can you? It was written by people who concocted the stories to fit their own purposes. That's not a new argument. <laughs> That's been an argument ever since... Those verses were written. In the second century, there's a Greek philosopher called Celsus. He was very anti-Christian. He wrote to try and destroy, if you like, the Christian arguments, and particularly about the resurrection. Quote from him here. How can anyone expect rational men to take the testimony of an hysterical female. <gasps> Not allowed to say those things, are you, today? But actually then, 
there was lots of rational men who nodded when he said that, because this was seen as the Achilles heel of the Christian writers, that Jesus had appeared first to women. Why, 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 if you're writing a, if you're writing an account then, why on earth put that Jesus appeared to women? Huh? They were not reliable witnesses. And yet all four Gospels shows that Jesus first appeared to women. It also says something about the graciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Appears to women. Why not Peter and John? If you want to write to convince people, why not say Peter and John got there first, eh, and they saw the risen Jesus? Oh, even better, why not Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus? They were members of the Sanhedrin. Why not those? Instead, Jesus appears to women, to Mary. And Easter changed everything for Mary. Mary goes looking for a dead body out of love and gratitude. You know, Mary was a messed up woman before she met Jesus. If you'd met Mary before she met Jesus, you wouldn't have wanted to know her. Her life was chaotic. Yeah, dysfunctional probably in the extreme. But when she met Jesus, everything changed. And that, by the way, still happens. I don't know how many of you saw Songs of Praise a few weeks ago when it was Gloucester. You can look it up on iPlayer if you want to. Well, most of the program wasn't that great, but because it's all about the stonemasons in the cathedral. But there was a wonderful testimony from the lady who works for Gloucester City Mission, whose life has been transformed three years ago by meeting the risen Christ. Well worth listening to her testimony. So Mary goes looking for the body of Jesus because she wants to anoint it with spices to show the respect that is due, the gratitude that she has. And, of course, she looks in the tomb, as we've seen, and, of course, she finds there's no body. She sees these two angels, and she knew they were angels, but they were robed in white. She sees the cloths lying there exactly where they'd have been, but instead of being the shape of a body, they're just lying flat. And she's crying outside the tomb. She's wailing. They say to her, why are you crying? She said, they've taken him away. And on that, she turns around and she sees somebody behind her. And she says to him, please, can you tell me where, where the body is so I can get him? And the person says one word. The person says, Mary. And she recognizes the voice. And her eyes are opened, and she sees it's Jesus. We cannot begin to imagine the shock, the amazement, the joy of that experience for Mary, can't we? She was looking for him, his body. She found the risen Lord Jesus. But here's the point. She didn't find him. He found her. She didn't find him. He found her. And that's the joy and the wonder of the Easter message, isn't it? 
it is right that we should seek the truth, to seek to, to find out who Jesus was and is, and whether what he says is true. We should do that. And if we seek him, the Bible says, and Jesus says, if we seek him, we will find him. And when we find him, we realize the truth is that he has been seeking us, and he has found us. Almost exactly 50 years ago, I went to a church service without anybody else, probably didn't have any friends, I don't know, but I went to a church service in the center of Birmingham on my own. There were lots of other people there. And that night, God called me and spoke to me. And I was so, I was so overwhelmed, so taken with what had happened. You could say it was an emotional experience. Actually, the fact, the proof is in the 50 years since then, isn't it? Not what happened then. But God spoke to me, and I knew he was speaking to me and calling me to follow him. And I was so full of it, I, could, I felt like I walked three miles home, three miles from the center of Birmingham, and I felt like I was walking on air because I knew that God had found me. Changed my life. I don't know what my life would have been if that hadn't happened. Who knows? Jesus changed my life. And the truth is that Jesus can change every one of our lives. And that's what he wants to do. So let Easter be. The truth of Easter be something that changes your life. Amen.